0: Hello, welcome back to Ag State of Mind. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and we are a proud member of the Global Ag Network. Today on the show is really special. I teased it at the end of last week's episode, but we are speaking with Sam Goldberg of Silo the Film. He's the producer of that film, and for any of you who may have not heard of that film, um, it is a wonderful, it captures the, the essence of rural lifestyle, of farm living, of the the struggles that some of us go through, um, not just the farmers, but just the people who live in a rural community. And it was so interesting to talk to Sam to find out that he did not come from a farmer background. He grew up in New York city and he was so captivated by this, by this movie that he saw it into real life. And, it reminded me of this quote, and it's from Alan Savory, and it says, Without agriculture, it is not possible to have a city, stock market, banks, university, church, or army. Agriculture is the foundation of civilization in any stable economy. And that the reason I think of that is Sam, who was born in New York City, who grew up not involved in agriculture whatsoever— Um, He was so captivated by this script that he wanted to see it through, and I think it goes back to we are all, the foundation of all of us is agrarian society. We all have a want to know where our food comes from. We all have a desire to know where that comes from, because it all—it's really what ties this all together, and I th- found it so fascinating. Sam's story um, and how he came upon Silo, and then just the film itself is just—it's uh, just so wonderful. Um, you'll find out when we record this. The first time I talked to Sam, I did not see the film yet and then after and i'm actually glad we didn't because we got to talk about the film and then he sent me a link later so i could watch the film and i'm so glad for that because it helped me to see that it helped me to see some of the behind the scenes things and i was able to watch it with a different eye and then we i decided we needed to talk about the film itself with sam and i especially the relationship with junior who's the main character the main farmer and his father um i've talked to some of you about this that i i my my father is struggling with dementia right now and that that part of the film that that dynamic really hit home for me and uh, carrie i'll tell you i i had tears in my eyes every time junior was talking to his father and everything because it just really hit home and i wanted to spend some time Um, So there's, there's two parts of this episode and that's, that's the reason why. So, all right. I'm not going to waste any more of your time with this intro because I want to get into the interview because I am so excited for y'all to hear this. So here is my interview with Sam Goldberg, uh, the producer of silo, the film. All right, Sam, thanks for coming on today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation that you and I are going to have here. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right.
1: It's good to finally meet you face to face over over Zoom. Really yeah. excited about this, also. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. So many so many conversations have been happening over Zoom lately, and so many relationships have been forged. And uh, I'm very thankful for this platform that's been able to connect us as as a world. As you know, it's been so crazy.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. It it seems like we're lucky we have the technological abilities when this pandemic happened otherwise we'd be isolated in in a lot of different
0: ways yeah yeah, sure so for those the people who are listening who may not know you may not be familiar with your name sam goldberg tell us a little bit about you tell us a little bit about your background where you grew up and you know kind of where you evolved into where you are now sure yeah uh
1: well i grew up in new york city on the upper west side of manhattan not far from Gray's Papaya Hot Dogs and you know, Central Park. I always wanted to be in the entertainment business as far back as I can remember. Well, the truth is, not the entertainment business. I wanted to be an entertainer, mm. let's put it that mm-hmm. way. And so my, my career started as an actor as a kid. I auditioned for commercials and radio voiceovers, movies, TV shows, all that kind of stuff as a kid. And as I grew older, got into my teenage years, college years, I fell a little bit out of love with the idea of being in front of the camera and really enjoyed storytelling just at large. You know, I started watching TV shows like The Wire and Sopranos and I was like, wow, how amazing it must be behind the scenes to create such thoughtful, brilliant stories. And then, you know, movies like Forrest Gump, Braveheart, they inspired me as a little kid and they were just my favorites. And so I realized that I could do something a bit more than just act in front of the camera, which is something I'm still interested in just as a general passion and a cathartic experience. But I figured if I could help facilitate the telling of stories, that might be really fulfilling in a different way and take some control into my own hands. Because as an actor, you have to be cast in something. But if you're right. a writer or a director or a producer, you can kind of make your own thing. And so I went to college in Pennsylvania, studied English and film, spent a lot of time with peers just learning more about storytelling on the writing side, structure, this, that, and the other. And when I graduated, I figured I would produce film. I thought I'd, I'd move to New York City, back from Pennsylvania, make a bunch of connections, and the world would hand me a very lucrative career as a Hollywood mogul of movies. That's not the way it goes, even in the best of times, but the film industry like many industries, has become very, very top-heavy in terms of big studios, conglomerates, Disney, Warner Brothers, Fox, Netflix now owning more and more of the content on the upside and independent film, kind of the smaller movies where the budgets could go into the tens, fifteens, twenty millions of dollars. They had to shrink and shrink and shrink and get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I kind of struggled. I couldn't really find my way exactly into what I thought would work for me. So I developed some scripts, TV shows, films, some based on books, some based on true stories. And then five and a half years ago, September 2014, Uh, I just torn my ACL. I remember I had my leg up on a chair and I was introduced to a filmmaker from Tennessee named Marshall Burnett. We had mutual friends who were writers in New York. And he pitched me this idea of a movie called Silo. And he handed me a pitch packet. It was a laminated packet. Every page had a different time of day. It started at 5 a.m. and it ended at 5 a.m. And what proceeded to show were images of farm life and the middle section were grain entrapment incidents and fire rescue um, images. And then the last sort of small section was just people dealing with that in different emotional ways. And I was totally taken by it visually at just the landscapes, the faces, you know, the sun creased face that we recognize in farmers, some of the pain that can live in those faces if they've been through a trauma, um, looked dramatic and interesting to me. And when he pitched me the idea of a movie about a grain entrapment incident I was hooked from a storytelling standpoint. Mm, I mm -hmm. I figured I've never seen this before in movies. So it would be interesting to be the first person to go do this. But as a New York City kid who went to a school in Philadelphia City, I knew nothing about agriculture and I needed to find a writer and experts to shepherd us. So over the next two to three years, we found teammates, a screenwriter from North Carolina, Jason Williamson. Uh, the head of safety in the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, Dale Dobson, a farmer there, Quinn Pottinger, the Sukup family in Iowa. We just kept finding pieces of the puzzle who filled filled in the gaps of this story and made sure that we were doing something authentic and interesting. And during that process, I came to really fall in love with the agricultural community mm-hmm. and how band together everybody is, how bound together everybody is, and how loyal people are to each other. Uh, my first experience of that was just meeting a farmer in Kentucky who had just had his wheat crop freeze over mm-hmm. on a really cold day that shouldn't have been that cold in April lost probably half a million dollars worth of crop and spent an hour with us just talking about the movie gave us the time and I was like this is this is not what I'm accustomed to I'm accustomed to hopping on the train and if I'm 2 minutes late I miss my meeting and people are upset at me and so over the course of working on this movie and then eventually producing it in 2018 I learned a lot about ag, I learned a lot about safety. We released the movie last August at the Farm Progress Show in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've had a whole new network of people open up to us, community organizers across America who have licensed silo from us to show in their communities. And you know, now I sit here in Pennsylvania where my wife and I are moving with our daughter in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and we're finding our way both as individuals and a family and as a business because silo can't do in-person community events anymore right Uh, we're probably going to do them digitally but at the very least we want to use our platform which is small but at times feeling powerful to talk about important topics which is why and i was very long-winded but it brings us to now which is just me being extremely excited to talk to you jason because this uh, subject of stress management mental health has been coming up for me through people in ag for four years. Uh Um, And I feel like it's culminating in amazing platforms like yours that are genuinely helping people. So happy to be
0: connecting. Awesome. Well, I am very flattered that that your team reached out to me. I mean... I, I don't think of myself as anything special for sure <laughs> and most people that meet you that tell you that know me well will tell you the same' it's, I'm I'm nobody special but it's really like I was very flattered to connect with your team over social media and then them connect me with you I mean it was just it was so cool and I've heard so many great things I've not been fortunate enough to see the film except for I, I just found out today that you guys showed it in my hometown, and I had no idea that it was there. I don't know like how the, I I don't know how that happened and how I missed it, but uh, it wasn't my hometown. It was the town I, where my I'm actually addressed in Saint James, Missouri. But I, I think it was back in February sometime. But uh, it's just crazy how I how I missed that. But
1: uh, your, your your invitation
0: got lost in the mail. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot. We, we, we made this connection too late, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I've we've talked before we started recording, a good friend of mine, Michael Bergen, and you connected and Michael put one up there in Nebraska. And so many people I've connected with, Quint, so many people involved either in the production of the film or in actually getting some of these screenings across and it's had nothing but positive results and I want to talk about first of all your role as a producer I guess I didn't don't even really understand what that is and probably not a whole lot of people actually do we just see them in in the credits you know before and after the film so what what is your role as a producer?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I have to be honest; it took me years of even calling myself a producer to know what it what it really meant. And it's just it's always been, it's been funny to me recently that we're producers and we're working with ag producers. It's a nice mm-hmm. uh, it's a nice term for us all. But we what I like to say is the producer of a film. So when you see the credits for a movie, you see associate producer, co producer, executive producer. Okay. Each of them have different roles. Executive producers often, you know, helping with fundraising or investing. A co producer or associate producer is usually very involved, but not the sort of lead person. Mm. If you see a film and it says produced by or producer and then somebody's name, it basically means that person is the CEO of that film. Okay. okay. So okay. a film, like anything, is a startup business. You know, when we started Silo, I got to get an LLC with Silo Film LLC. We incorporated in New York. We got a bank account, all that stuff. So that was the first step to becoming a producer of this film. And then from there until you and I speaking today is everything from you know, finding the screenwriter and the director, helping shepherd the storytelling process and giving notes on the screenplay, helping research and development, raising financing so that you can go travel and do research and development you know, bringing people together to try and get expertise, then raising more financing to physically make the movie. Before you make the movie, hiring everybody, the costume designer, the production designer, the makeup artist. And then when the movie is done, you you pay attention to post-production. You work with the editor, you work with the composers, you work with the color correctionist who make sure the color in your film looks really good because it doesn't come out the exact way you always wanted to. And then eventually, if you're doing your job right, which I think is one of the challenges with film producing today, is producers are paid less and less because it's a it's easier and easier to make movies, right? You can make a great movie on your iPhone. So more and more people are making film today than ever. So that drives down the, the cost of a salary of a producer. And so if you're doing your job right, you should also be involved in the marketing campaign and the branding and the distribution. It's like any product. If I started a toothbrush company, I should know eventually who's going to be buying that toothbrush. Same with a movie. And so that's what a producer does. We kind of are a jack of many trades often a master of none. In my case, I'm good at story. That's what I'm kind of most proud of as a producer. Some producers are very good at business and very good at logistics. I'm okay at that. I'm good at story and and context and sort of trying to tease out many different avenues of a story and trying to give them a filter and an organizing principle so that an audience can really appreciate the messages because we've all seen movies or projects where things are all over the place. And my job both behind the scenes and in front of the camera is to basically shepherd
0: the flock a little bit. Mm. So you're not a whole lot different than a farmer, really. I mean, if you really think about it, yeah. uh, the, you know, the basic concepts, you know, especially when you talk about you do all these things and you have all these roles and, you know, you have to be, you know, you're, you have to be a jack of all trades. And, but, you mm-hmm. know, you do have your specialty. Um, I mean, it's just like, yeah, like kind of like a farmer, kind of like, you know, anybody involved in agriculture. That's, it's very similar. So I can see how you, yeah kind of this hit home with you in that, you know, the community, the, you know, looking at it from the farmer's perspective, really, you know, kind of captured your interest, piqued your interest.
1: You know, it's funny, I haven't thought about that until that this very moment, Jason. But I think it's very possible that I empathized a lot with the grave responsibility of being a farmer. I'm, I'm, I don't, I mean, I really should think about it. I'd have to dig deep emotionally to really see if that's one of the reasons I'm so gravitated towards farmers, but I think it might be, is just the buck mm. stops with me and I've had many, many, I told you before we started talking, some low lows on this movie, seriously stressful moments you know, staying up in the middle of the night, you know, and, and like, just like a farmer, I guess, like anybody who's starting a business where it's kind of all encompassing, you know, would drag my wife into it. She's staying up with me late at night. It stresses her out. You know, we're looking at the bank account together and seeing how challenging this is becoming. This really has to work and the pressure mounds and mounds. So I can only imagine some of the challenges farmers feel when that's a multi-generational pressure right Right? i'm just dealing with one vacuous it's one project it's a serious project to me and it's my livelihood sure sure, but it's not the whole family the legacy all that stuff and so that's what's always found i found that always so interesting in terms of what's happening in ag and the deep deep pressure that farmers must feel
0: yeah yeah i mean it is absolutely the the pressures you said that so well the pressures of you know sitting down and, you know, I hear you talk about sitting down with your wife and looking at your statements, looking at your bank account, looking at your business plan and like, you know, we've got to come together and make this work, you know, because it's, you know, it's our passion. It is a career. It is something that's providing for our livelihood, but it's also a way of life, you know, and from, like I said, I have not seen the movie, but I feel like the, the trailer, all the clips I've seen, all the talk I've heard is the movie is portraying that in such a, such a unique and, and real way in where so many movies get it wrong. And so many movies kind of look at agriculture as a backward place. And from what I can tell, that is obviously not the case in your film.
1: No. And I'm excited for you to see the movie and, uh, You'll be getting a link to it right after this podcast is over. I appreciate but that. But the, the truth of the matter is it's funny when one can even think about farmers as being backwards looking. Mm-hmm. They are the most optimistic people, right? Mm-hmm. It's, right. It, is, it is the most optimistic profession I've, you ever, have to be. I've yeah. ever witnessed. You know, um, it's, it's forced optimism, but what I've witnessed in the faces of the farmers I speak with, it's, it's, it's genuine hopeful optimism. And so what we tried to do with Silo is make sure that we researched and developed over the course of at least a couple of years. It ended up being four years longer than we originally wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But we did good research and development. We found experts we can lean on in tough moments where we could send the screenplay and be like, "Would this happen?" And then every day on set, we had EMT, fire rescue worker, farmer. Every day, so no matter what, if we did something that fell out of line or a little bit BS, somebody uh-huh. called us. Somebody called us out on it. And so that was huge. And that wasn't just because we did some brilliant thing. It's because we linked up with people who were generous enough to show up because most of those people didn't get paid. So we were just lucky.
0: Wow. That's, that's awesome. And you bring up a good, another good point that I wanted to talk to you about is it's not just people involved in agriculture. It's rural America, you're telling the story of the often forgotten rural America. And, you know, like you say, you, I talked to you uh, before we started talking, we actually had the rural fire department here today to put out an electrical fire, you know, EMT was here. Uh, You know, it's, it's a complete community, not just the farmers. It's, it's everybody involved in that community that you are speaking to here. And I, I, for me, we don't, we don't row crop, we don't grain farm, but still, I still understand the community spirit. It, it, agriculture is agriculture, no matter what you grow. I mean, we grow, we grow grass and hooves here, but it's no different than if I grew soybeans and corn and that the people are, are what is the, the linking factor here. That's what's the common ground.
1: Could, couldn't agree more. I, you know, I do think people are a reflection of their environment. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've noticed, you know, we've done screenings of silo on dairy farms, cattle operations, and then predominantly towns that are very grain focused, mm-hmm. but the commonality is people recognize in each other, the environment, the people around them, the community. And one of the things that you'll just enjoy this inside, I, I don't think I've ever shared this story, but we originally had a, a much bigger budget movie. And four months before production, we couldn't raise the money. We had a much smaller budget to deal with. So the writer-director myself escaped to a small town in New Jersey uh, at my aunt and uncle's for three days, locked the door, turned off the Wi-Fi, and we had to turn a, a two-hour movie into an hour and 20-minute movie. Mm-hmm. 40 minutes. That's, that's 40 pages. That's a ton of movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we did was there were all these early conversations in the film where we gave context as to how people knew each other in town. And then all of a sudden the screenwriter was like, they would know each other. They'd show up and just call each other's name. They'd just say, hey, Bill, hey, Junior, hey, Frank. And then all of a sudden you're watching the movie and you just believe it. You're like, yeah, they know each other. It's a couple thousand people in this town.
0: This is not surprising. So that's some some of my favorite movies are the ones that play to the intelligence of the audience. And when you do something like that, I mean, you are talking about a town in... Where's, where's the movie set? I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't so remember. it's,
1: it's actually set really in anywhere, America. anywhere.
0: There's no, okay. It's, it's anywhere, okay. Yeah. okay. So let's say we're in small town, Missouri, where I'm at. And the guy, you know, the guy who came here today on the rural fire department to help me, I knew him. Um, <laughs> we talked about the fair that we may or may not have this year. You know, I mean, there's, there was no context to be built there because we know each other. And so you recognized a really great point in that in, in, there is such a tight knit community here in rural America where there wouldn't have, I mean, that's just, that's just there and you were able to play the, the, the understanding of the audience and that's wonderful. That's, that makes for a much, thank you a really, really pleasant viewing experience to be able to kind of cut that out a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I I think it really worked. And I think that it's funny because what also works when you do that is it works with the actors. So the actor developer a poor, right? When they mm-hmm. don't have these setup scenes and we're, they're told, no, no, you just know that person. So call them by their first name and it, it makes the actors actually move a little faster and feel it more, which was interesting. And one of the things also, and, and you obviously know this from your experience today, and I'm not sure if it was volunteer or not, but I didn't was. Know, yeah. 75% plus of American firefighters, volunteers, unpaid mm-hmm. volunteers. That yeah. was a staggering statistic for me when I first heard that. Ble- yeah, because, blew my mind.
0: Because you're from New York City and most of those, most of the firefighters, you know, are members of the New York Fire Department and are paid, probably have a pension, correct? I mean, I don't know this. I'm just speaking off the cuff yeah. here. I don't know. But here in rural America, uh, we we get paid, they get paid zero. I mean, yeah. they, these are guys that have, and gals that have jobs and their free time is spent on the rural volunteer fire department. I mean, that's what it's called. Cuba. Volunteer fire department. That's what it's I mean, that's it's that's its official name, you know. So I mean they're getting paid nothing. But the that doesn't downplay the importance of their existence whatsoever, obviously.
1: No, it's it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable if you think about that. And it's spe- it does. It speaks to the dedication to community in certain parts of the country that also exists in New York. Trust me, every time I go by a fire department in New York, I remember when 9-11 mm-hmm. happened. We went around, we made sandwiches, we gave them out. It changed New York's relationship with fire. Rescue forever. Mm-hmm, sure. But, and I remember that community feeling, but the concept of a volunteer firefighter is something very special because firefighters see the worst of it and they show up unpaid. It's, it's unreal, yeah.
0: unbelievable. Yep. I have some really good friends who are actually listeners of this podcast who are firefighters, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for them because they have seen some of the absolute worst, <sighs> you know, and yep. you, sh- I mean, and, you know, and to, Go back to the movie a little bit and I don't want to talk about the movie too much because I want people to be able to see it someday you know I mean again COVID strikes again where you know it's screwed <laughs> up life but as far as the you know as far as the grain entrapment these are super serious and way too common things and you were able to kind of bring in the stresses of rural America surrounding that, and without, you know, that was the main focus of the film, but you focused on all of the things in rural America, in farming country, and were able to highlight it around this. And I want you to talk about that, what you found out as far as the stresses in rural America. And, you know, we talk about that exclusively on this podcast, you know, about, about rural stress ag mental health and, you know, how it's affecting the people and, you know, how it's even being highlighted more now with everything going on with COVID and, you know, the markets and everything and such. And I just want to hear your experience as as from an outside perspective. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll speak to the first time it ever really
1: impacted me at all Mm -hmm. in terms of ag. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was, we were about to screen. So before we made the big movie, the 75 minute, film mm-hmm. with with actors and all that stuff. We made a 10-minute short documentary that was meant to serve a lot of purposes, but was just a day in the life of a farm town in Rising Sun, Indiana, where an entrapment had happened a couple months prior. And that movie opened up a lot of doors for us. And so we went to Kentucky to eventually shoot the big film. As I mentioned earlier, we connected with Dale Dobson, and the head of safety for the Department of Agriculture. And we were about to do a screening of that movie. For his town in Hodgenville. And it was going to help raise some awareness around the feature film, maybe help us get things off the ground, get some in kind donations, and just generally let the community know we're coming to town to make a movie. Here's what it's all about. So we're going to show this short documentary. Dale's a tough guy, great guy. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves Dale. He's a fantastic human being. Mm -hmm. And he showed up to this uh, event to set it up. And he was, he was like, I wouldn't say catatonic, but he was barely talking. And he's a talkative guy. Said so, Dale, what's going on? And one of his best friends had just committed suicide, oh, um, gosh. and he said, you know, Sam, I don't know what your plans are. I know you haven't made the big silo movie yet. And this was like two and a half, three years ago before we even made the big film, right? Uh, and he said, but at some point you have to make a project about suicide prevention and mental health because this happens all the time. And it, he could barely talk. It was. It was, I just couldn't believe, and it just happened, and I, and I felt, you know, you feel that energy, like you can't get away from that. I have the chills now just talking to you about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the seed was planted at that point that something was going on, and I'd connected with farmers before, but they'd never been open about their stresses, but they'd been open about financial challenges, weather challenges, market challenges. Mm-hmm. And then uh, once we made the, the feature film, you know, the, the movie... Does tackle sh- a stressful environment. Sure, um, sure. And so, as my wife always says, you know, that which is the most personal is the most universal. So, what it didn't surprise me that different themes have made their way into my conversations about Silo now because we went very deep on characters, and there are four sets of characters. There's a single mother. There's her son and his best friend who are working on the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the father and you know fifth generation owner of the farm and his son, um, and then there's the fire chief, the volunteer fire chief. Mm-hmm. On this day, they all have totally different levels of horrendous stress to deal with. But the precipitating factor is that they're not talking about it. It's all mm. it's all here. It's like all up here, like right. up by like yeah. that neck chest area. It hasn't gotten out of the of the throat of the of of the brain. It's it's sitting there. They're all dealing with it, but they're not really dealing with it. And so any interesting movie, or not any interesting movie, any movie that's trying to really have a pack, a really strong dramatic punch has to exist on two levels. You know, there's gotta be the practical and the metaphorical. And in our Mm -hmm. movie, somebody is literally drowning in corn and it's that accident and that pressure that brings everything to the surface. And so one could argue the movie has quite a happy ending for a couple of the characters because it's what, what they were holding in came out. But on the other side, there are people who deal with even worse trauma because what they held in, they held in too long. So in the example of the farmer and his father, he held on too long and he's going to have a really tough go at it because this accident happens on his farm and we don't know what's next for him. Whereas the mother and the son, they have a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and the firefighter, you don't really know. And he's sort of an interesting character because we were discussing it just now. Firefighters have incredible PTSD and suicide Mm -hmm. and suicide issues in that community. And we've dealt a lot with the fire rescue community, making this movie and distributing the movie. And so in making the film and now putting the film out there, it's opened up these conversations in a way that I'm really excited about. And it's what's brought us to you. It's why we reached out to you. It's like, you know, Jason, we keep, we keep hearing from people that there's an emotional catharsis happening when they watch our film and talk about our film. And we did create a discussion guide that goes along with Silo. It talks about green mm-hmm. entrapment. It talks about farm safety. But then mm-hmm. at the bottom, it talks about the stresses of multigenerational farming. No, which is a real deal. And that's the main Mm -hmm. point in our movie is there's a father passing the baton to the son, but the son is drowning in stress. And Mm -hmm. so these are some of the things that come up in this movie. And now behind this well, in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, wherever you want to call this conversation, are obviously coming to the surface.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, gosh. I there's so much that and so much that you're unpacking there. And it's it's really interesting to know the different like because I I think of things from the farmer's perspective a lot because my dad was a farmer. I am doing my best, you know, Uh, my brothers are too. And, you know, I think of things from that perspective, but you know, you talk about the single mother, which there are a lot of them in rural America. I mean, my kids go to school with a lot of kids who are raised by single mothers. There's the, like you said, the fire chief who, you know, he's doing all this and trying to, do as much as he can to make things right but he'll never be able to do enough and it's just it's it's incredible like you you paint the scene here so beautifully and when it's not such a pretty scene you know at the same time and i for one am really happy that this Film came to light when it did because it's a very important time. You know, farm safety is is very important, obviously, but the deeper issues here that it's bringing out in 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 succession planning and in managing your own stress, those are going to be the things that I feel like are going to be the lasting legacy of this film, and I'm so happy for that Um, because it's getting it's getting a lot of traction in the ag community. I can tell you that right now, and I'm very thankful for all that it's brought to light.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I, I, I am too. I, I, I couldn't have predicted this on any level. I and mean, I told you five and a half years ago, this was just an interesting idea. It was just a story to me. It wasn't, it didn't hit home, but you know, you get to know people, you connect with them. They help you with a film. It becomes like a big family. And what you just said cuts both ways in terms of, you know, farm safety and stress, right. On one hand, mm-hmm. on one hand, I'm sure if you boil it all down, most common factor to a farm accident is stress because Mm -hmm. you're rushing. You're rushing Mm -hmm. on some level.
0: The anxiety to get it
1: done. Sure, sure. So that leads to an accident. On the other side, on the flip side, even if you're not at that level of stress yet, if an accident does happen, it'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And all the problems you thought you have are magnified tenfold. And so if you don't deal with it, you know, early on, if you don't really connect with people about issues. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, sure. I'm a New York guy and, and my whole life, I've definitely had more openings and opportunities to talk about my feelings. Sure. But on the other side, I have different types of anxiety. You know, I haven't spent my life out in nature. Nature is crucial and important to our biophysical chemistry and to Mm -hmm. making us feel healthy. I've been deprived. I, I, I live in concrete for thirty plus years, right? And so there's there's two sides to all of it. You know, on one side, maybe I can articulate any moat better. On the other side, I'm I'm I need something. And so farmers have the fuel. They're, they're being fed by the right things often in their community and surroundings. They just have to sometimes take that next step, physically and emotionally, to just you know, I don't know, just, just take one small step at a time. They, I think one of the challenges with, with the subject sometimes, it feels so overwhelming. It's like, where do I even begin? But what you're doing with your, with your podcast, you know, I listened to last week's episode with Adrian, very mm-hmm. simple steps, very practical things to do that are not going to take hours and hours out of your week, actually. It won't add right. stress. It'll end up saving you hours of your week. You'll get more efficient because you'll remove a huge blockage from your brain and that's the beautiful thing about getting stress out of your body once you do it there's no turning back you know what the other side looks like
0: yeah absolutely i'm i'm happy you you got to listen to the episode with adrian because like we were talking about adrian has been a huge influence for me and her friendship has meant a lot to me and we i look forward to working with her going forward even more and but we sorry <laughs> i just i got lost in that a little bit there's so much weight that that we deal with and If we can find a way to manage that and to totally, you know, I mean, the stress is going to be there. I I don't want to, you know, there's always going to be stress, but good ways to proactively deal with that. That's going to save us so much time, so much, so many fights with our family members, so many fights with ourselves, you know, it's, it's going to lead to less, you know, stressful spending so many things that I've talked about before. And I'm hoping that we get this message across and understand that managing your stress is just as important as getting your actual work done because it makes you a more efficient person.
1: That That's for sure. And, and by no means am I an expert on any of this. I'm, I'm just speaking from my personal experience. Neither am I. You know? I mean, I- You know, and it's, and it's, and and all I could say, I was thinking, I talked to a friend about this yesterday. He's uh, he's an artist who somebody has owed him money for a little bit and he's just delayed in getting them the invoice. I was like, why, 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 why don't you just, you know, send the invoice, like get it done. He's like, I have all these other things to do. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, you know, when a, when the light bulb goes out in the kitchen, all right, you should just get it done right away. Right. You go and you fix that Mm -hmm. light bulb, but you end up walking into that dark kitchen for like a week and it weighs on you, and it builds, and it gets harder and harder to yeah. change that light bulb. And I was telling—I like used that metaphor with him yesterday. And I was like, "Yeah, that feels right to me in terms of stress, too." You know, like if you just—you you could, in the moment, make a small thing and just recognize it. That light bulb needs to be fixed. I'm stressed because of X, Y, Z. I'm going to articulate it. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to talk about it. Whatever. It could be a tiny step, but this way, it doesn't build. When you let things build in importance, mm-hmm. the other side of that, you know, can be really dangerous.
0: So I always, I always, and I came, I think I came up with this kind of analogy on the spot one time in an interview. And I I, I compare stress, like when you, when you push stress down or when you don't deal with it, I, I, I compare it to like pushing a log under the water Mm. and you push that log, push it, push it, push it. But you know, when you let go of it, the further down it gets, the more explosive it is when it's going to come back up. And that's the way our stress is too. It's you know, the further down we suppress this, the, the more explosive it's going to be. And if we just we deal with it when it was here instead of way down here, um, we're going to have you know a much more pleasant experience We're we're going to have, be a much ple- more pleasant person to be around. Our, our farm operations are going to be much better for it. Our family, more importantly, our family relationships are going to be so much better for it. And yeah, I mean, just dealing with stress is, is, is super important.
1: Hey, you know, and what you just said works in the opposite, which is great, you know? I'd like to think about it in terms of silo, you know, the pendulum swinging, right? We worked so hard for years. We had so many difficult moments, but we really put our best foot forward. Every day we worked, we worked, we worked, we worked, we worked, we stayed honest, we stayed true, we stayed in our mission statement. And now we're seeing such a great benefit on the other side of that since we've released the film. But it's because we took all those baby steps. I think the same goes for a business. You know, if you're de-stressing slowly but surely and you're spending a little bit more time on the small things around the farm, then uh, you are going to see the financial Upside of that as well. We live in a society that wants immediacy. We have bank, we have lenders from the banks who want XYZ from us. I think there's a lot of people who are pressuring farmers in different ways. But if you stick to your guns and you put in that Mm -hmm. day to day work,
0: you you just like you're saying on the log on the negative side, also on the positive side, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I want to, what I want to, something I want to make sure I put, I, I touch on here with you tonight is, you know, obviously we've talked about you being from New York, you being an outsider when it comes to agriculture has your perception changed at all of of what agriculture is of what the people living in rural america are like because i think a lot of times there's this divisiveness right i mean there's this there's this rural urban divide and i'm guilty of it i'll say that uh i in i went to school in st louis for five years in college and so i mean i've experienced it. Firsthand, and but I mean, have you seen like your perspective on rural America change as a result of of this project? Yes, one hundred percent.
1: the The first time I went to um, the Midwest was in rural Indiana during the two thousand sixteen primaries for the Republican presidential nomination. And I was in New York City, went to a liberal arts school, had a very particular perspective of who I thought was going to be a certain type of voter, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not that I was horribly judgmental or you know, negative about it, but I just had an image. And what quickly shifted for me, first and foremost, was farmers in particular, in two, two elements, their knowledge of finance and technology. Mm-hmm. I had no mm-hmm. clue the mm-hmm. level of technological and financial advancement and knowledge that lies in the brains of farmers today. Okay. But then also how difficult that job is. You know, I just really didn't know. I mean, I took it for, did I go to Whole Foods or I go to Trader Joe's or I go to Costco? I get stuff. I buy it. I buy it mm-hmm. from Amazon. doesn't matter. It shows up at my door. I eat it. I don't think twice about it. I started connecting producer to consumer in my personal life. And not only that, I just thought that people in rural America were just extremely hospitable, kind, easygoing. And that is what people love about America. I mean, this is not a, that's not a new thing. And, and sadly, it's been on some level forgotten or, or twisted in large part, and I'm not looking to go like blah, blah media, but in large part because the media does thrive on divisiveness um, and in some sure, ways has sure. yep. built a bigger chasm, a bigger split between these two groups and, uh, you know, my wife, you know, I mentioned earlier, but, you know, when President was elected and things were just so you know, negative in New York and people were so upset, she had this great idea. She wanted – I still, I still would love to do it. We want rural Americans and urban Americans to meet somewhere and just go for an hour-long walk and they can't talk about politics. That's just the rule. Go for a go for <laughs> yeah. walk and, and just talk. What do you do? What do you do? What do you care about? What do you care about? The answers are always the same. We all care about the same things. We all have the same worries. And so we have to just reconnect with each other. And I'm just blessed and lucky that I've been able to work on a film and a project that put me in personal touch with individuals in this space. Because otherwise, I'd probably just be in New York City, going on my merry business, not even thinking twice about it, and maybe being a part of the, the split that keeps happening. So I'm just right place, right time, and then right movie, I guess. So... It's it's changed in a huge way, huge way.
0: And I'll speak to the other side of that in that my perspective has changed because of getting out there to and talking to people like yourself who are not of the rural upbringing like I am. And, you know, I think when we, like you say, leave politics out of it, you know, we just won't talk about politics. We just find we find we have so much more common ground and as americans we we all want the same thing we want happy families we want to live our best life you know maybe how we get there is is going to be different but you know we all have i think the same for the most part have the same core values and you know that that that's in you know we can talk about media like you said but A lot of that is a lot of fear is driven in between us, and I think if we just got out there and talked to one another, we'd find out we have so much more common ground.
1: And I think, and you know, this is more just me trying to again think within a context. You know, forever we had the draft. You know, we had wars. Everybody knew somebody who went to Mm -hmm. who went to a war. That kind of brought us together. We knew more about our country person. Then the world got more and more urbanized, and then the draft ended. And then we led further and further into a space where we had less and less in common on the day-to-day, what it meant to be an American, Mm -hmm. that patriotic nature. It seems that we remember what our commonalities are more frequently when there's a disaster, like now. And Mm -hmm. my industry, I believe, was the last vestige of giving people a sense of a common American culture. But now the movies that everybody sees are just the big studio movies. They're superhero movies. They're not... They're not movies like Shawshank Redemption, you know? They're not those right, kinds of right. movies. And so sadly, the things that used to maybe bind us together, even when we didn't have a draft or other things that were more you know, urgent, we at least had our culture. And now our common culture is not necessarily the most thought-provoking or honest or real. And so the biggest goal of Silo always was tell an authentic, real American story that could unite people no matter where they are, if they can relate to the story, if you're somebody who's in a big city and you empathize with a farmer, great. If you're a farmer and you empathize with your fellow, you know, rural American, great. And just get it, just get it, a closer knit group. So that is does that will continually be my goal in creating stories because they do have a unique capability of bringing people together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you you hit on a good point, and you kind of like segued into what you know I want to finish up talking about. In what's your plans? I mean, I know COVID has threw a big wrench into the plans. Obviously, you know, I, I'm sure you had several scre- plan screenings canceled and, you know, you're probably going to have to move to some a more digital platform, but you know, what, what are your plans going forward? I know you've speak about different projects about rural America about agriculture. So, I mean, where do you see maybe in, you know, two years or five years, or maybe even further down the road?
1: Well, you know, short, medium, and long term. I'd say short term, you know, we had to postpone uh, over, I think, 90 screenings of silo that were gonna happen in communities across the country. And some of them may happen in person when some of the restrictions are lifted, and some of them may have to go into a different platform. So we are developing an opportunity to do digital screenings of the film. We're having our first one this mm-hmm. weekend, actually, to test out the technology and make sure it goes well. Uh, and so if people want to see Silo, uh, they can go to our website, SiloTheFilm.com, and they can sign up to host a screening or just reach out and get in our newsletter and follow us on social media, and we'll continue to evolve. In the meantime, we're just trying to do Facebook Lives and, and do things that we hope we're gonna add and help the community in any way. Medium term, the goal is to get Silo out for free to the general public in the coming months. We can't do that Mm -hmm. right now because it would mean we go out of business. And and not only that, but the technology is not as simple as people think it is. We can put it online in certain Mm -hmm. respects, but in other respects, we can't. We need financing to do it. And then we need financing to just continue as a company. And so we're working on that. We actually have some cool partnerships we're talking about. If they work out, that would be fantastic because then we can make it something accessible to everybody. Long-term, We want to build off of the success of this film and continue telling agricultural stories and rural American stories. We have a couple that we already love and want to work on. If we are unable to do these on film, because it's possible we can't, you know, we may not be able to go into production on something. It's 50 crew members in tight quarters all day long. And, you know, there's some issues and restrictions happening right now in the film industry that are kind of barring people from even thinking about it yet. If we cannot make another movie for some time, we will find another way to tell that story, whether it be a podcast, whether it be some interactive online theater, whether it be music, whether it be a photo essay, whether it be all the above. Um, we have ideas we want to get out there. We have conversations we've been able to have with folks like yourself uh, and in the industry who who want to continue supporting our ability to make very high quality um, fictional content that's based on real agricultural stories. And so we're going to keep doing it no matter what. Right now, you know, we're just starting to get used to, you know, I just put up my quotes, Jason can see me, we're getting used mm-hmm. to COVID and and how to work within that space. So now that I have that, I'm peeking my head up a little bit and really looking at the options in the short term for silo. And um, people should just, you know, follow us on social media, silo the film one on Facebook and silo the film everywhere else. And that way, it'll just, be very easy to get a sense of what's happening next. Cause we try and keep in close touch, but it's um, like anybody we're blessed uh, here. My family, we're doing okay. Roof over our heads. There's food in the fridge. Anyway, we can help uh, whether it be through agricultural safety, mental health or otherwise uh, you know, I just want to be a service to the industry. So, you know, hopefully people reach out and in whatever capacity works for them.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Sam, I am honored to have had this conversation with you tonight Your project has brought so much hope to Rural America and because it's it started the conversation around a lot of things that aren't easy to have a conversation about. We talk about farm safety so much, but do we a lot of times, you know, do we really practice it, especially when we're busy? And do we talk about, you know, the importance of managing stress? obviously not as much as we're supposed to. So you are doing a wonderful service to rural America. And I think I can speak on behalf of the vast majority of, of people in agriculture and people in rural America. And when I, when I thank you for, for that service, because it's, it's awesome. It, it, it's such a cool thing that you guys have been able to do. Well, uh, I don't know what to say. That's uh that really means a lot. Honestly, it's uh it's, We've
1: worked really hard to try and get it done. You know, I won't lie. I've worked really, really hard to do it. But the thing that keeps fuel in the engine is conversations like this and just continuing to meet good people. I always say it's all about good people power. You know, that's life. Got to connect with good people, like-minded people and not like-minded people, but just good people. And um, the more you do that, the more you connect with each other, the better things uh, turn out. And I'm sure you agree with that in terms of stress management and all that too. Sure. So I really appreciate that endorsement and that comment. I, uh, you know, I'm just a guy, this movie was made by so many people. So, sure. uh, you know, yeah. I'm just lucky to have been able to do it.
0: Right. And, you know, and thanks again to your team for reaching out to me. And this has been one of the the best part. I mean, all, all the conversations I've had, have had meaning, but this has been one of the most impactful conversations that I've got to have on this podcast and it's, it's been so cool well you, and, I, and I hope we talk again down the road
1: I mean we, we definitely will and you because uh, you've got to watch the movie and tell me what you think but <laughs> yeah of course uh, <laughs> yeah but no but you're you know even just your interview style Jason and the way that you conduct yourself you're just so honest earnest I knew it when I was listening to your podcast There's a reason people speak the way they do so candidly with you uh, it's because you have a very unassuming uh, humility about the way you connect so I thank you for that opportunity and you and I uh, are fast friends we spoke before this and just kind of. like shook off the cobwebs and connected. And and I don't doubt it's the first of many, many conversations.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that makes me very excited because, you know, I, uh, I am one of those people who just, just, I love other people and (laughs) I'm at my best when I can connect with a lot of people. And, you know, and this has been a big, this podcast has been a huge, and I tell this to a lot of people, it's been a huge thing in me dealing with a lot of my own issues as far as anxiety and, you know, getting to just talk. And, you know, I think just being able to talk to people and talk candidly to people is, is a big stress relief. So as, as much service as I'm doing, I, and I hope to do to people outside of myself, I, I'm doing just as much to myself. So it, it's been a great joy for me.
1: That's that's the way it's got to be. If, if That's yeah. the way it's got to be. If you're doing something good that feels right, it's good for you too. That's why it's just healthy to follow those passions, you know?
0: Sure. Yeah. All right, Sam. Well, I, I appreciate your time tonight and uh, I look forward to down the road. Me too, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. All right, Sam. welcome back. No introductions necessary this time. Um, this is just kind of uh, an addendum, an appendix, a post show, if you will, to what we've already recorded. <laughs> we are recording this just a few days before the podcast actually gets released. It releases on Monday, and we recorded the episode last month sometime. so uh, first of all i I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to watch to view the film personally that means the world to me because I've heard so much good about the film and so much impact that the film has had. I feel very fortunate to have been able to view that. So thank you.
1: Of course. I'm so glad. I mean, it was funny when we were talking originally, that I didn't
0: think to send it to you before
1: that interview. So thanks for giving me a second chance.
0: <laughs> yeah, it worked out really well because you know I got to know you, and I got to know where you were coming from in film, in the film, and the producing or the production aspect of it, and then being able to like see your work like come to it play out in real life. And I I thought it was, I thought it was a, I've never been able to view a movie like that before in where I kind of knew like the background of it or, you know, what you were doing beforehand. You know, usually, you know, you just go to a movie or you rent a movie, you sit down and watch it, you focus only on the storyline. But here I I had so much background on it and I, I was just, it was so cool to be able to view it from that point of view. It's almost
1: fitting in that you spoke to me first as the producer of the film because if i were the director or the writer or an actor in the film the easiest way to judge my work would definitely be watching the thing that was created because it's so specific yeah. to that it's so specific to that type of artist Like we talked about earlier in the podcast, producers are really a more ambiguous job description where we Uh do a lot of different things. So it's almost fitting in a way that you didn't watch it first and we got to know each other producer to producer um, who, who do a lot of different things and then you got to see it. So I guess it worked out. I think it really worked out.
0: No, I'm very happy that it worked out the way it did. And then being able to come back and do this like we've done it, or like we're doing it now is is really, really great. And so I, I don't want to, I want people to go out and see the film, obviously, whenever there's a chance. I know COVID has changed the world significantly. So, you know, live viewings in these farm towns are obviously limited. We don't know when that's going to come back, but I think they will. And I know you're probably working on some stuff virtually yep. and lots of stuff coming up with that. Um, but I wanted to talk about how much the film moved me. And we were talking before recording personally, the relationship between junior, who is the main farmer, the, the, the owner operator of the farm in the movie and his father who has gotten on in years suffering from, pretty significant dementia and how I related to that in my own life and how I was able to see that dynamic between junior and his father. And, and I, I told you before we started recording too, uh, we watched it in my hotel room a couple of weeks ago while Carrie and I were, took a short vacation and sitting there and she just saw, I mean, she knew, how like as the movie was going on how it was affecting me and like just tears streaming down my face to see the interaction between junior and his father and i just i want to commend you and the entire team on just really capturing what that dynamic is like having a you know somebody who is actually doing the work with someone who Used to do it and did it really well, and you know, Junior obviously thought so much of his father, but still, there was this almost childlike like reversal of roles, where the father is on, you know, has dimension, and you know, the caretaker shifts to the child, and it's just, I, I'm, I'm, I was blown away by that performance. Well, thanks for saying
1: that. I mean, it makes me feel so good. When you shot me that email after you watched the film, I turned to my wife and I was like, wow, Jason really liked the movie and it really hit him. And I I really believe that's the power of the cinematic medium. You know, you really can connect with characters in a way that is so unique to film, you know, where you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you really are watching things unfold and you... there's this thing called mirror neurons like it's a, a scientific term where you are actually mirroring in your brain and body what you're witnessing so it's as if your body is going through the experience that you're watching on the screen and i i said to you before we spoke you know before we were recording today That's always been my favorite dynamic in the movie since the first draft of the script I ever read. It always made me cry, even just reading the script. you know, I've dealt with it in my family. The director of the movie, Marshall, uh, his grandfather had really bad dementia and and he really took that and put it into the script in a major way. Jason, the screenwriter, if, if I'm correct, also had experience with one of his grandparents. And so it feels like people have, a lot of people have dealt with this. And it's funny, even if you haven't dealt specifically with dementia or Alzheimer's, there's always that interesting flip in life where the Mm -hmm. child becomes the parent you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so something about that is so universally relatable and I'm so, I'm so glad that it hit you in the gut in that way. And uh, I'm sorry, you, you have to deal with it. I'm sure it's very painful what you have in your own life and experience. So, you know, I'm sorry, you have to well, we, go through that. You
0: know, we all have our own trials and crosses to bear. So, I mean, it is, but I think what is, and I think my favorite part of my favorite part of the dynamic is, and again, don't want to give any part of the movie. It's okay. Away. You can give some. But he in it ends and be, begins and ends in the same way. And it's talking about Junior talking about how his dad always used to say they worked in acres and not hours. And even though in it comes out they were talking about this this all this this kind of um, he was kind of reflecting after the whole incident of the grain entrapment um, happened. And it turns out that. It was after the fact, and you know he—it's the movie starts with that, with with him saying that, and then ends with that, and with all this going down, with all the perceived negative things that are between Junior and his father because of his um, because of his dementia, Mm -hmm. he was still reflecting on a positive time, a time when he was totally you know, when he was in junior shoes, you know, and junior was the child and junior was the one who was looking up and looking to him for guidance. And what, from what everyone who has told me, who has went through having a parent have dementia and then pass on is that they don't remember or recollect so much the years that they struggled with their Mm. memory and struggled with their dementia they only recollect the good times and the fun times and the times that their parents were totally with it and i feel like that really like encapsulated that in just a few sentences and i i think that's so
1: powerful well something you'll find interesting jason that i've never told anybody before outside of the internal crew of the film that's not how the movie started originally. Mm. In fact, the Jim Parrick, the, the actor who plays Junior, an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, amazing actor uh, from True Blood and Reno 911. Right, yeah. And uh, Fury, great, accomplished actor. Um, uh-huh. He took, I want to say that monologue at the beginning and the end of the movie, he improvised over 50% of it. Like he had gone, no kidding. Yeah, he had gone very deep on the script of the movie and on agriculture, mm-hmm. and felt it in his bones. He sat there, and I remember we took two takes of that monologue. Two. Mm. That was mm-hmm. the most. It was. It was the final scene of the movie, right? So uh-huh. crucial final scene. Right. You're not, you're not usually doing two takes. You're usually doing ten to make sure. sure you right. Got it. He nailed it. I think we used his first take. I don't even think we used the second one. And he something about what he did was so powerful, we literally rewrote the movie in the edit of the film to start with that monologue. So it's funny that you're bringing this up because it's coming full circle for me. That was not the beginning of the movie when it originally started. But what he did in that performance and what that captured in terms of the essence of multi-generational farming and the mm, power mm-hmm. of the way it lives in your blood and your bones, and you remember those early moments. It was so powerful that it ended up becoming the the bookends of the film. Right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just. I just. To me, that was perfect. I couldn't imagine it being any other way. Mm. Beginning and ending with him with that kind of monologue like that, and it was super powerful. And you know, I obviously don't know a ton about the movie industry i don't i watch a lot of them have watched a lot of them but to ha- i can name about a handful of movies that have moved me and this is t- definitely i can add that one this one to the list it was it was amazing wow thanks i mean that's awesome i'm so
1: happy i don't know what to say i've always loved that part of the film you know when i watch the movie i've seen the movie probably hundred times I want to say at this point sure but the I give so much credit to our writer director team for Mm -hmm. building of such layered characters that even when I watch it for the hundred first time I still see something that I as the producer of the film haven't fully noticed before and so I think that's the testament to a good film and you know i think i've said to you before like when i watch movies i've worked on i i only see the problems so the first 20 mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. i watched silo i could barely watch it i was like oh my god that should have been that way oh my god if we had 10 more minutes that day but the right. sun went down yeah. and started raining but I'm, I'm proud of the way it's gone and you know we i sent you a, a link to the film and it's worth mentioning to your audience that we're definitely starting to do digital events So if people are interested in hosting one, we've done a few already. We did one just a few days ago in Minnesota. It went great. Basically, we're, we're working with community organizers to do a digital event, a digital panel discussion. We're also talking to some big companies in agriculture on the grain side and on the insurance side to see if they'll help fund a wider streaming release of the film. We want everybody to see it, and we're in this funny place now, like everybody, where we're trying to figure out how to keep our business alive, but also do the right thing. So, you know, if any of your listeners sure, sure. are just interested in learning about the movie, you know, just go to film.com or, or message us on Facebook, and we'll okay. we'll find a way for people to watch this movie.
0: And if they do want to host a virtual event to just get in contact with you yeah, through the website yeah, or you Facebook.
1: Know, yeah. Right. When you go to the website, they can just click host a screening or you can inf- email us at info at silo, the or, okay. or we're out there and it's usually me who responds. And Right. Uh, and just say, I heard you talking with Jason and I'll say, cool. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that, well, we'll,
0: we'll uh we'll link all that in the show notes uh, just like we talked about before that way if people want to get in contact with you it'll it'll be easy so well jason think i mean you're such a stand up guy and i i i like i said when
1: we ended last time we finished uh, supposedly this interview um right. what you're doing for agriculture you know i i i've noticed such a shift in the dialogue around mental health in ag over the last couple of years and yep. the more you put it out there and the more other people put it out there, the more it becomes destigmatized, the more lives will be saved, the more people seek help. And so I, I do hope that your listeners who are probably already interested in this subject talk to other people about what you're doing so they can listen and maybe find different access points to this subject matter so they don't feel so alone if they're having some of those challenging
0: feelings. Right. And I think that's a big, uh, the, one of the, the, I think the best part of this podcast is you don't even have to, I mean, we want people to talk about it. Sure. I mean, that's the end goal, but you don't even have to talk about it to Make it a part of your thought dialogue because you can just hey turn on this podcast every week and hear hear the conversations and you know that way it's fresh in your fresh in your mind and it may take a day a week a month or a year for you to start talking about it but you know just that it's on people's brains and that's that that it's in their subconscious you know that's that's what's important. You have to plant seeds. You don't know exactly when they're going to grow,
1: but you got to plant them. So. Thanks again for this opportunity. I'm so glad Welcome. you got to watch the movie and we got to do this follow-up and uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for, for this platform and uh, I hope you have a, a great July 4th weekend. I think we'll yeah. this will be out there after that. So you know, it'll uh, be after that. Weekend,
0: so you know? yeah, you too, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on again, Sam and taking the time and you know, you get, you get are having a busy schedule as well. So yeah. Uh. <laughs>
1: there's a lot so, going on we're, we're moving to an old farm so this this city boy is
0: is getting it, is getting it, out it hooked it. you you couldn't see i told you you, 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 if, you if it gets into you you can't get away from it
1: <laughs> i said to my wife the other day given how much of a novice i am it'll be a miracle if i make it uh through the rest of my life with all 10 of my fingers. So I'll let you know how well, that goes.
0: I, I'm 37 and lived around it my entire life, and I've got all 10. Okay. So
1: well, you're smarter <laughs> and more experienced than I am.
0: So we'll see what happens. You can do it. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.